How are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? Whether you're calling on him to complain or question or to praise and thank. And Paul decides to take it a step further. It's one thing for us in the church to struggle with believing and these difficult questions. But question number two, how are they to believe in one of whom they've never heard? We, uh, each week, we follow the lectionary here at Prince of Peace, as do the vast majority of uh, mainline churches across the country, which is to say that in a three-year cycle, we kind of work our way through the entirety of the Bible, more or less. And uh, each week, then, are assigned scripture texts. Most of you know this, but, um, and generally, there's a text from the Old Testament, the first reading, and a uh, text from usually one of the epistles, one of Paul's letters in the second reading, and there's a gospel uh, signed for the day, uh, and then the, each year um, we focus on a different gospel. Uh, this year is the year of Matthew. So we have been in that second reading of the lectionary for these weeks, uh, working our way through a good bit of the of the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, which is a deep uh, theological treatment of the faith. You can really spend a lifetime, as uh, many biblical scholars do, plumbing the depths of of the book of Romans. Um, last month. Uh, a passage, the passage Carrie just read for us from the 10th chapter of Romans rolled around in the lectionary. But I didn't get a chance to, to preach on it because I chose instead to preach on uh, the gospel reading that Sunday from Matthew where uh, the disciples are out on the stormy sea having been sent out there in the evening by Jesus to cross to the other side and they are, for fear of their lives out there, the, the seas are raging, and then they, they see through the mist, through the haze, through the storm, they see this figure coming toward them, and it turns out to be Jesus. We know the story, and, and Peter asks Jesus uh, a question that struck me, and the reason I decided I, I really wanted to kind of get in there and, and unpack it a bit, you know, he asks, Lord, if it, if it is you, in fact, call me to come out there to you, you know, to get out of the, this boat, which I'm already terrified is going to capsize and walk out on the stormy sea. So that is what we uh, unpacked that Sunday last month. But sitting right next to it in the lectionary was this wonderful text from the 10th chapter of Romans. So I wanted to reach back and give us a look into this passage this morning. Uh, we hear... For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. And that right there is a kind of atomic bomb of, of theological statement that Paul makes. It's, of course, a little bit lost on us. But, I mean, for Paul, uh, a, a, a Pharisee, a Pharisee's, a, you know, a, 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 
uh, considered an expert in, in the faith in which he is steeped and born into. For, for Paul himself, you know, to know all the religious laws and rules and protocols, uh, the Pharisees identified 613 religious laws in the Holy Scriptures that they believed everyone should live up to and live out in their lives. I mean, they were serious. And what did all of this, you know, religiosity do? What was it about? Well, it was about being distinctive from the rest of the populations out there. It was about being faithful Jews. It was about being God's chosen people. It was about a distinction, right? This is us. We do this stuff. We take it seriously. We live by it. It's who we are. We teach it to our childrens. Uh, and then Paul says, for there is no distinction in this in this 10th chapter. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. So you and I can get past that and go on to the next verse. I promise you those Paul is writing to it in Rome, are, are, their, their ears are burning when they hear this. No distinction. That's, that's all there are. That's who we are. Distinction. And there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But, there's a but, Paul says, and now he, he starts a kind of old school four-point sermon. Paul has four questions he wants to pose. And that's what I wanted to do is go back and walk through these together because they're rich and they mattered then. I think they matter now to us. So Paul asks first, first question, how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And probably most of us would agree or admit that believing, having faith in all circumstances can be a difficult thing to accomplish. We can see all throughout the scriptures, people wrestling with being faithful, with believing. Um, the prophet Habakkuk, for instance, cries out to the Lord in the midst of uh, the violence and injustice that surrounds the people. And in so doing, he represents all the faithful throughout all the ages who have these questions for God when all of these terrible things are happening, all these hardships. So why do good people suffer? You know? why, do, why do people suffer at all? These these questions we have and they're common and and they we have them in communities of faith including <clears throat> prince of peace the prophet Habakkuk yells oh lord how long shall i cry to you for help and you will not listen eh, it's interesting you know it isn't that this Habakkuk this prophet doesn't believe it's that he does believe God is there and God isn't listening. Or I cry to you about the violence and you will not save. It's not that he doesn't believe that God is there. It's that he's thinking God isn't concerned with them. Why do you make me see wrongdoing and trouble? You see, the Bible can be so human. I mean, we feel this way sometimes. And Paul believes that reaching out to God is a good thing to do. But he asks, how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? 
Whether you're calling on him to complain or question or to praise and thank. And Paul decides to take it a step further. It's one thing for us in the church to struggle with believing and these difficult questions. But question number two, how are they to believe in one of whom they've never heard? Fair enough question, huh? For a whole set of interconnected and complex reasons. Uh, I I loved uh, Katie's children's sermon. We never, almost never, talk about, I never know what she's going to say and and how it's going to relate. She's looking at the same scriptures that she knows we're going to preach on, but, but occasionally over the years, Katie will say, ask a question. I might say this or that, but almost never, and certainly not today. And so when Katie was talking to the kids about sharing their faith, my ears perked up because um, of this message I knew we were going to hear. So how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? What if nobody's ever told them about Jesus? For a whole set of interconnected and complex reasons, I wanted to say that the mainline church of our day doesn't seem to carry the zeal for evangelistic outreach of earlier generations. I'm even talking about my own experience in the church. I mean, I feel like it was much more common growing up uh, for me, and almost all of that growing up in the church happened at Atonement Lutheran Church in Bloomington, still there. They're gathered now for worship. My mom's a member. Um, I felt like there was more of a, a, a central focus, a, a responsibility almost, that was woven into our worship more so when I was younger about sharing our faith with others. We heard it a, a lot. And from Sunday school to confirmation to, to sermons. And maybe it's just me, but I feel like the, the kind of this theme of evangelism, of actually sharing our Christian faith with others, um, is, is less so today than it, than it was then. Now, back then for us, it was, you know, we were hearing it from old, comfortable, easygoing, maybe a little bit on the boring side, but faithful, lovely man, Pastor Frankie, my whole life. That's, and almost everybody who grew up and were fed and nourished in that community of faith um, can tell you a, a, a good, uh, none, of, none of us can tell you a good sermon we remember of Pastor Frankie's, but we remember Pastor Frankie. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, but, um, but always in his preaching, there was this theme, usually uh, uh, of of sharing our, our faith. That's what I'm getting at. And it made most of us feel a bit queasy, even a little bit guilty, I can remember thinking back then, because, I mean, how often do most of us start yapping about our Christian faith with the neighbors? Or how many of us would really love for that to happen to us more than it does? Probably not so much, and so... But when the two mainline Lutheran uh, bodies in our country merged years ago and they gathered in groups and all across the country and, and tried to find a good faithful name for our church, we, we decided on the ELCA, right? 
We're still, that we were the Lutheran Church in America, LCA, we were the American Lutheran Church, ALC, we're still the Lutheran Church in America, but what, so we, now we're the ELCA, the what? The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Well, like I said, the shift away from this focus is complex and layered, and the response of many Lutherans has been to, you know, rather than to just overtly start evangelizing, sharing this, you know, the actual, what you believe about Jesus with somebody in your life, we've tended toward the response of showing our belief with our actions, right? They'll know we are Christians by our love. And so we serve and we're helpful and even generous and all in an effort to show the love of Christ, to show the love of Christ. At least, you know, that's what we want to tell ourselves. But Paul's question still hangs out there for us. How are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? I'm not sure how many people we know who've never heard of Jesus. When uh, we travel to Tanzania and our brothers and sisters in the northern diocese, a vast, growing, always growing, vibrant Lutheran community in the world, and they were going to establish churches and a presence uh, in the far remote western parts of Tanzania along the shores of Lake Tanganyika and those areas around there. They, one of the strategies was to send trumpet choirs, so a hundred trumpet players. Imagine the sound that out into the wilderness under a big acacia tree on the backs of pickup trucks crowded in there, all these trumpeters. And people would come, villagers would come from miles around, right, to see what all this was about. And then from the beds of those trucks, they would preach the gospel. And many of the people hearing had never heard about Jesus before. This was it. This was the first time. Well, I mean, at least in our country, who's left out there who's never even heard of Jesus? I think you'd have a hard time going, drawing a circle two-tenths of a mile wide around our church uh, without finding another church, if not multiple other churches. And this is true wherever we go. But Paul shifts the question a bit with the third question, huh? Now he's asking... Not only how are they to believe in one whom they have never heard, now the third question, how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? That is, proclaim Christ to them. A faith isn't intended for something uh, for us to do alone by ourselves. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes there to encourage Timothy and the faith, and Paul reminds him that uh, of his mother and his grandmother who passed the faith on to him. I am reminded, Paul wrote to Timothy, of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois, very specific. Apparently, Paul knew these, these women, and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. So, one of the things that uh, is a blessing. One of the reasons we, we still gather in person together as a worshiping community each week is to encourage each other in the faith. I mean, I can't begin to tell you how encouraging it is to me personally 
that you have made your way over here this morning, that you got yourself out of bed, you got yourself ready, you got in the car, most of you, Brenda just wheeled because she lives close by, but most of us got in cars and, and made our way over here. And it is a witness. It matters that we gather. God bless those of you who are joining us from afar online. You're so much a part of this, every bit as everybody here present, but there's undeniably something beautiful about coming together around this gospel and this sacrament. This living faith we share is communal. In this sense, it's sometimes even borrowed or we stand upon other, the faith of others as much as, as our own at times. So we are reminded that Paul is writing to the church here, the community of faith here in the book of Romans. These four questions he is posing are directed toward the community of faith that, that gathers around the preached word and the sacraments as we do today. And when it is healthy and when it is functioning well, the local community of faith identifies people within the faith community with gifts for ministry, and, and, and the church community calls and equips these people through our schools and, and congregations and seminaries, equips these people uh, to proclaim the gospel and administer, rightly administer the sacraments to help build up the community of faith in people of all ages which literally leads Paul to his fourth and final question. How are they to proclaim Jesus unless they are sent? In a moment, we'll, we'll conclude our time of worship with, with the sending. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord, and we shall again be sent out these doors having been uh, fed and forgiven, having heard the gospel preached again, we are sent. Yes, we are sent to serve others in the name of Christ. Yes, we are sent to share our faith as the opportunity arrives and we are able. And yes, by participating in the mission and ministry of our church as we strive together to grow deep and reach out with the love of Christ. How beautiful, Paul writes, are the feet of those who bring good news. Amen. Question number one, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, the same Lord is Lord of all and generous to all. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. First question, how are they to call on the one in whom they have not believed? Second question, how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? Third question, and how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And the final question, how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? The answer to all those hows is you. It's us. People who know they're not worthy, know they're not smart enough, know their faith is sometimes teetering. It's you. It's us. We've been fed and forgiven. And now we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.